verses 19 to 23. Listen now to the word of the Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the, do the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The word of the Lord. Today's guest speaker is Pastor Samuel Choi. Let me share a brief, a brief bio. Pastor Sam has lived in four states and 12 cities and towns in his short life, but he considers New Jersey to be his spiritual home and the Northeast Corridor as his mission field. He has been in ministry for over 20 years and specifically has a heart for revival, worship, prayer, and those hurt by the church. He is currently planting a church and a house of prayer. He is married to his beautiful wife, Minji, and they have two sons, Elijah and Enoch, who are four and two years old, respectively. Pastor Sam enjoys playing and watching sports, such as football and basketball, spending time alone in nature, and playing board games. Please join me in welcoming Pastor Samuel Choi. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. That's good. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning. It's nice to see all of you guys. Um, youth group, we had a good time, yeah? yeah? Yeah, we had a lot of fun, man. It was, it was really a blessing to see you guys enjoy each other's company and uh, eat some, eat some lamyun together. Um, yeah, you guys didn't get much sleep last night either, right? <laughs> it's all good. That's part of what, what a retreat is for, right? We've got to maximize the time together. Um, I'm gonna, I realize that there's another part of the passage that uh, I think I forgot to include, but I'm just gonna read that part real quickly here. That's part of the, the sermon today. Um, so verse 24, John 20, it says this, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark, into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet have believed. This is the word of God. Uh, for the youth group, um, this is kind of a continuation. And for those who weren't at the youth retreat, I'll give you a quick synopsis. Um, toward the end, basically, um, you know, we're, we're able to um, love people to the degree that we're able to receive the love of God. And that is not a work that we can do ourselves. The changing of the heart, the transformation of the heart is not something that we can do or muster up or somehow, uh, you know, work with, with, within ourselves to do that. It's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's what God, only God can do. And as we look into this passage, we're going to take a deep look into the heart of the disciples and into the heart of Jesus. And when we're really able to see the love that Jesus has for us as his people, when we're able to fully understand who we are now because of his love, then it enables us to walk like him. It enables us to do his ministry and to proclaim the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? And so the context is this. Jesus has risen. Jesus has risen. And he's appeared to a few people. And he appears um, to the disciples, right? And this is what's going on. Their doors are locked. Why? Why are their doors locked? Scripture is clear because they're afraid of the Jews. Why are they afraid of the Jews? Because the Jews just killed Jesus. They killed him. Their very lives are at risk for the thing they believe, for the person they believe and follow. And so they're scared. It's real. It's so scared that they've locked everything. They've boarded up the windows, the doors. You know, when the, when, the, when, the, when the sun goes down, they probably have a really small candle so that people outside can't see a light. I don't know how it was exactly back then. They're whispering. They're scared. They're going through so much. Their Lord and Savior was killed. Their king was killed, murdered. And the thing that they thought was going to happen didn't happen. They understood and saw Jesus a certain way. But they didn't realize the fullness of what he was talking about while he was with them before he died. And then when he dies, all of those expectations, those things that, oh, well, Jesus, this is what you mean when you said this. And this is what it looks like. Suddenly it was like, wait a minute, I had no clue that following you that believing in you, that trusting in you would look like this. You're dead, and they're after our lives. And we're trapped here, what are we gonna do? The fact that they followed Jesus puts their entire being in danger. And we look here, he comes to them. I don't know how he got in the house. This is one of those questions I'm going to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. Like, Yo, Jesus, how did you get in the house? <laughs> Everything was locked up. You know what I mean? Like, he walked through the wall. I don't know what happened, right? Like, Jesus can do anything. He, he appears in the house and he goes, peace be with you. If you're in that house and you locked all the doors and somehow a person appears in your house, you're going to need some peace. You know what I mean? Peace be with you. He's like, yeah, I'm going to need that, right? He's like, peace be with you. He says this. 
And then he begins to say these things that when I read it initially, I was like, why do you say that, Jesus? It's kind of weird to me. I don't really understand. He said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he breathes on them. He's like, right? And receive the Holy Spirit. And he says another interesting thing. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I don't understand, Jesus. This is not what I'm expecting to hear from you in this moment, right after you come into my house. I don't know how, and then you say, peace be with you, and then, what? I mean, we're still reeling from your death, and now you're alive within three days. Like, that's just too, that's so much to process. That's too much to process. Like, there's no, there's no bucket that that can fit in in my head right now. I don't have a bucket for that one. Like, you rose from the dead. You know what I mean? And so, just put yourself in their shoes, like emotionally. What's going on inside of them? Let alone physically, they're fear, fearing for their little, literal physical safety. They're in fear of others, thinking if they did this to Jesus, then they can do this to us. They probably wanna do this to us. There's a great amount of fear and I would venture to say that because of everything that's happened in following Jesus, and maybe even the, the quote unquote perceived letdown and disappointment, Jesus was not who I thought he was. Following him and being his disciple, I didn't think it would be like this. There is a place maybe possibly where there is a feeling let down by Jesus even. Have you ever felt that? Like you follow Jesus in faith and things didn't turn out exactly what Maybe you thought that the way it would or the response of another person and you feel completely devastated, you feel let down and you're reeling from that and you're even questioning, can I keep following him? And when that happens, you see this imagery of them being in this house and shutting the doors to the outside world, that's really what's happening in their hearts, yeah? They shut the door of their hearts. to other people, to each other maybe even, to the world, maybe even to Jesus. It's in this place that Jesus penetrates those barriers. He speaks peace. And the things that he says actually begins to address the things deep within their heart that they're wrestling with, that they're going through. The trauma, the pain, the hurt, the disappointment, the bewilderment, the having so many more questions than answers, their world being turned upside down, and also maybe even the guilt and shame in their hearts. Because where were they when Jesus was crucified? Where were they when the Romans came? They all scattered. They failed Jesus when he needed his friends the most, when he needed his boys the most, he said, come pray with me, a handful of them. They couldn't even keep watch. They fell asleep because they're so tired. They're struggling with that. Have any of us ever struggled with that? Falling short in our faith? Making a mistake in our walk with Jesus? 
maybe hearing his voice and following to a certain point, hearing him calling you out onto the water, but man, I can't leave this boat. But you know it's him. During this first encounter, Thomas is not there. Jesus, Jesus shows up again. And Thomas is in disbelief. And traditionally in, in, in our uh, history of faith, there's an uh, a adjective or description word that, you know, that comes before his name. It's doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. I'm like, yo, that's messed up. <laughs> Right, man, he had a moment of weakness, and that's attached to him for like thousands of years, right? How would you like to be doubting Thomas? You know what I mean? Um, everyone's like John, you know, Paul, you know, maybe even Peter, right? But like doubting Thomas, right? And this is Thomas, right? This is, he's, it's, it's real for him. And I, I love reading about Thomas because I can relate. You know what I mean? Like, I love reading the Bible because we see how God is miraculously working through people's lives. And I, I love that too. I need that. But I also need to see the humanity, the brokenness, the weakness of disciples that are trying to follow Jesus but falling so short, that are so broken, that are so limited, that are like, yo, I don't know how to do this. I don't understand why you do what you do. And we're following you. And it puts us in a situation where we're like, what are you doing? We have thousands of people to feed and we don't have enough money. And you ask us, see what you have. And this little boy brings five loaves and two fish. And you say, you feed him. Jesus, man, this is crazy, man. You're crazy right now. Little girl dies and you walk into the room and everyone's crying and mourning. You say, she's not dead, she's sleeping. How do you feel when you're in that room with Jesus? I don't get this. When you listen to what Thomas says, he says, and unless I see his hands, unless I feel, unless I touch, it's very descriptive. You see, when the disciples told Thomas about seeing Jesus again, the problem that Thomas had, it wasn't his desire to touch, to see and to feel was not because of an intellectual incongruency. but rather a deep desire to be healed, to be met in his place of doubt, of fear, of shame, of anger. Thomas has been through some stuff. People don't say stuff like this after one moment, after the first time of experiencing something. Thomas has been through things. He's been hurt, he's been let down, he's been disappointed by others, he's been betrayed. He's let other people down. And there's all this stuff in him that hasn't been dealt with, that he doesn't know how to deal with. And so he hears this news, he's already still real. Jesus is alive, yeah, whatever, whatever. And you already see his heart is turned off in many areas. And he's like, the only way that I'm gonna believe you, like I have to see it, I have to touch it. It's gotta be real for me. It can't just be someone else's testimony. I need to be able to testify and witness the resurrected Lord. Eight days later, 
You ever been in a moment in your life like this? Man, if I don't, Jesus, mm, if you don't come through and you have doubt in your mind, right? Like, you're, you, you say it, but you don't really believe it. Like, God, I can't do it anymore. I, I don't want to follow. I don't want to believe. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to trust. And, you know, I, and you say it kind of in passing, like, it's not going to happen. It's not possible. Whatever. Right? Like famous last words kind of thing. And then eight days later, Jesus shows up. Jesus liked that, right? You get to that place where you're stuck. You're at the end of the road in your faith and just in your heart and your life. Like whatever, you gave up all hope. And right when you give up all hope, Jesus shows up in the most unlikely place, in the place where you've boarded up your heart, shut down your heart, and you're like, no one else is getting in. I don't even know what's going on in my own heart. I just got to make it to the next day. And he shows up and you're like, Jesus loves to do that. That's his heart. Because for him, it's not just about what we can do for him. It's not just about fulfilling a mission. It's not just about preaching to the nations and discipling and all these people getting saved. Yes, that is included. But first and foremost, he cares for who you are. And we were talking about this in the youth retreat, right? He cares for your heart. And he wants a heart-to-heart connection with you. What Jesus does next for Thomas is nothing short of phenomenal. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Put it in my side. Jesus, man, that's weird. You know what I mean? He got a big old hole in his hands. It's still there. It's healed, but it's still there. Can you imagine someone has a hole? Right? Like, it's a hole. You can see through. Hello. Peekaboo, right? No, you don't even, can't even do peekaboo because you see through, right? Hello, right? You got a big old gash in your side. It's healed. It's so big, you could put your hand in there. That's gross. Who want to do that? Do you want to do that? I don't want to do that. Touch it. I'm like, oh, no, Jesus, man, you know, I was just playing, Jesus. <laughs> you know, I, I get like this sometimes, Jesus. I don't know what comes over me, but, you know, no, it's okay. I, I got you. I see you now. But why does Jesus do this? Why does he do this? It just, it doesn't register. It doesn't make sense. Why? Why does he let Thomas touch him? Why does he invite him? In this moment, what Jesus is wanting to do for Thomas is deep. He said, Thomas, my place of greatest physical pain that is representative of what really happened when I was separated from the Father, right? I was completely separated. I paid for your sins. I was tortured. I was beaten. I was abandoned, left to die on a cross. I went to hell. Come here. What does Jesus do? 
What is he doing here? He's making himself vulnerable again. That's a really intimate thing when you let someone touch your scars or you've been hurt. It's a really intimate thing to place your hand into someone's side on their torso where they were pierced, let alone if there's no injury. You don't normally just go up to someone and you say hi and you touch them right here. Hey, what's up? No, get off me. <laughs> Personal space. Jesus, why did you do this after all your disciples did to you? When you needed them the most, they weren't there. When you were about to be completely abandoned, where were they? Jesus makes himself vulnerable. This time, that vulnerability is on the other side of the pain, the hurt, and the betrayal he received. He's resurrected and he's healed. And from that place, he says to his disciples, what? Peace be with you. I'm with you. You can trust again. You can believe again. I have overcome the world. And I need you to know that no matter what the world will do to you, whatever evil comes your way, I will turn it into good. Whatever the enemy has stolen, I will return it. I will restore it. Whatever mistakes you've made, I will redeem it. Whatever you've given up in your faith, because it was just too hard to hold, too hard to follow, too much of a cost to bear, I'll give it back to you and teach you how to hold that again, how to steward it. So you see, when he says, peace be with you, there's so much more. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I'm real. I'm alive. I come out the other end. The enemy in the world has not defeated me. I've overcome. I'm your hope. I'm your hope, I'm your hope, and I can do all things. What is impossible with man, I'll do it in you. We can't change our own hearts, we can't heal ourselves, we can't muster up enough hope, especially in this day and age when things just seem so dark and it seems to be getting darker. And you call us to shine brighter and we're like, I'm just trying to get the light on inside of me. 
Say, you can't do it, but I can. If you let me, will you come close again? Because I'm here close to you. I'm in front of you saying, take a look at me. After all that Jesus went through, he forgives, he forgives, he forgives, he forgives. And what we need to remember is that forgiveness is actually a privilege. Sometimes it feels the opposite, right? Forgive. Nah, Jesus passed. Hard pass. Forgive? Mm, not right now. And we forget what a privilege it is to forgive. Jesus, when he came, he gave his life away. No one took it from him. Where was Jesus? In his heart, emotionally, spiritually, where was, I mean, he's God, yes, but he was also fully man, right? Where was he that when they came for him, he wasn't the victim? He said, you want my life? You don't take it. I came to give my life to you. I came to give it away. Do what you have to do. He says to the disciples, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What does that mean? You have a decision. Do you want to forgive or do you not? Do you want to hold that offense against whoever it is that's wronged you, that's hurt you? Or not? Why is forgiveness so central to the good news of Jesus Christ? Did you know that one of the greatest blocks in growing and following Jesus is forgiveness or unforgiveness? If you've been stuck for a while in your walk with Jesus Christ and you haven't sensed the Holy Spirit moving in your life, a lot of times, more than not, there's a forgiveness issue at play here, unforgiveness. Why? why? Why does it work like that? Why is forgiveness central to the good news of Jesus Christ? Why? Because how do we know God? How are we saved? Because Jesus forgave us. Our relationship with him, our faith, all of it is based on his forgiveness. But we think we can choose to not forgive and think that we're still following Jesus. But what we don't realize is we cut ourselves off from the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit when we close our hearts and we say, I will not forgive. I will forever remember. I will hold it against them. To be followers and disciples of Jesus is to be marked by forgiveness. To be marked by a heart that forgives, always. We must not give sin 
and the effects of it more power than it has. Forgiving another person brings us into greater intimacy with Christ. It is a privilege. And we get to, we get to then begin to identify with him and to fellowship with him. Do you have unforgiveness in your heart? Come to Jesus at the cross. His resurrection speaks into the place, places of broken trust and disappointments. Some of us, we have forgiven here, but not here. A lot of us know what that's like. Sometimes we convince ourselves that that's okay. You're thinking all the right things, but your heart is completely shut off. You have no affection for another person. You're not even open to blessing them. You act differently around them. This morning, God is inviting us to receive his forgiveness. Some of us for the first time in a long time. And he's inviting us as we receive that to forgive others and be set free again and to be healed. And he says, look, I have overcome. You're following me. I can do it all. You know, I'm gonna end with this. When Charles invited me to come speak for the youth group, just because he's my friend, I said, I'm down. It's like, we haven't ministered together before like this. You know, last time we were in a church setting together was like Michigan, like 19, late 1990, early 2000. It's been a long time, right? Mar said, yeah. I said, wait, let me, let me pray about this. I gotta pray. And so I was praying, and then most recently, before I came to the retreat, I said, you know what, let me go on the website, church website. Let me see what Graceway is about. And I went to the history. I love history of churches. I went to the history. And as I read, I was like, this is so interesting, the history of Graceway, right? And as I read, there's one thing that kept sticking out to me. After five years, this happened. After another five years, this happened. And then another five years, this happened. And then one more time, five years. And then this happened. And I go, hmm, this five. Why is there always five years? And I don't think anything is coincidence. And then I realized that five in the Bible represents grace. And I go, wait, isn't there a name Graceway? <laughs> I don't know if y'all did that on purpose. Y'all knew that, right? And then as I was sitting back there, I was reading the history again. I felt like the Lord was leading me to read the history. I started reading in the history. And I started counting. Five, 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 five. And then y'all from 2013 till 
next year is going to be 2023. That's 10 years, right? So there's five, 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 right? There's two fives in the 10, right? Y'all know how to do math, right? So you're on six right now, and then you're on your last set of five that's going to start in, the seven, in 2023. I'm weird like this in my relationship with God. He speaks to me like this, right? He speaks to me. I said, this is so interesting. And he began to speak to me because when I was at the retreat, I was praying for some of the students. And as I prayed for some of them, there was this common theme that began to come. Like the Lord would tell me, you know, I feel like, you know, he would tell me encouragement things, show me things and encouraging things to tell them. And I would share this. And the thing that came as I was even in the back, I was talking to some parents and things like that. Man, there was this theme that was arising. I was like, God, why do you keep uh, highlighting this to me? Why do you keep telling me to tell them like this, right? And then I realized it, right? And it was, it was like this common denominator that's not just for individuals. It applies for individuals and families before your whole church, which is this. It's like for you guys, you've come to this place as far as you can come. And it was by the grace of God, but also you've given everything. You've given maximum effort. You've poured everything out. And it's like for many of us, that's where we are in our lives, even as parents, in our marriages. We've kind of hit, hit the plateau. We hit the ceiling. We don't know where to go from here. You know what I'm saying? Some of you guys, your, your kids are older and you're like, all right, it's a little different. My kids are two and four. I'm just starting. I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to make it till they're 18, <laughs> let alone beyond that. Like, this is crazy. I'm stay at home. I've been staying at home for four years, all right? So inside, I've been dying. <laughs> I don't know, people who stay at home, especially mothers, if you stay at home, you guys are special, man. <laughs> Props to you. Honor and respect the fathers. If you do it too, yo, it's real, man. And I'm like, uh, and you just come to the end of yourself over and over and over and when you are strong in certain suits, if you're really smart, you have a great pedigree, you succeeded, or you're, you're an overachiever, or whatever it is, then the, the thing that, that is a detriment to that is we, we know how to make it. We know how to do it by our own strength. We know how to re rely on all our resources, all our talents. We know plan A, B, C, D. We, we have all this stuff, and this is what we do first. But God is bringing you into a season where, where he wants you to go in this next five years and beyond, you cannot get there. As a church, you cannot get there on your own. There's no way. If you think because you have experience, that's enough to get you to the next side, to the new season, it's not. For some of us who are parents, we're, we've been here for a while. We're stuck. We're just like, we don't even know who we are anymore. There's things that we've lost over the years in parenting, in life, in marriage, and we just kind of feel like a shell of ourselves. We're stuck. We, God, I don't, you know what? I'm just good if we just kind of survive. Maybe just do it for the sake of the kids. I don't know, God. I hope maybe somehow, you know what? I, whatever. And you feel, it's real, man. You feel like you're dead on the inside. You, you have, you're struggling to have hope and faith. You're afraid, if we're being honest. We don't know how to get to the next place, even following the Lord. We can't go. Some of us don't want to go. The cost has been too much. Man, God knows that. And in this next season, it's going to be a season of grace like you've never, ever experienced. It is not only the grace to be saved, the grace that saves you, the grace of God is 
the grace that gives you the ability to do what you cannot do by yourself. It is an ability that comes from God to follow him, to trust him, to have faith again, to believe in ways you've never believed, to love your spouse, to forgive your spouse, to love your kids, to love your parents, to forgive your kids, for kids to forgive their parents, to forgive each other in this congregation. And maybe there's other people in your life that you're like, but right now God is highlighting them to you. You gotta make a phone call. You gotta schedule a meeting. You gotta start praying about that. But if you say yes, and it's a decision you have to make as individuals in your family, and that's where it will start, that's what God showed me, it's gonna start in your family. He's gonna do a new thing in your families if you'll believe him for it and you'll trust him. And as a whole, as a congregation, because what he wants to do is take you beyond the walls of this church and take you beyond the walls of your heart. He wants to show up and say, peace be with you. I know, they did it to me, so I know. But I'm alive, I'm not dead. I'm healed, I'm resurrected. You're following me. So I breathe on you, my spirit lives in you, and I'm sending you. Will you forgive like I forgave? Will you allow the power of the Holy Spirit to move in you and through you? And I promise however long the Lord has for your church in the years to come, that it will be by his grace. In your family, the next 10, 20, 30 years, it will be by his grace. And you will be amazed. You will be amazed and in awe of God. My question to you this morning is, will you say yes to that? If I may, I'm gonna just give one last example. Several years ago, um, I used to do a parachurch organization called Worship is One, and we would run these youth retreats, these joint youth retreats. Many churches would come at its height. We had like 250 kids from all over New Jersey, some in Pennsylvania, New York. One retreat, one night of one retreat in particular, I will forever remember um, for all the days of my life. I'll forever remember it. And there was a guest speaker, he was speaking, and, and it was on the topic of forgiveness. And it was dealing with pain and brokenness in the family. In particular for, for children, for sons and daughters, that God was calling them to forgive their parents. And they had the small groups going on, you know? And what we did in that moment is, we did what we call a stand-in. Because parents weren't there, yeah? And sometimes, if your relationship is broken, the other person's not in a place to ask for forgiveness, yeah? And so we would have someone stand in. If it was like an issue with the father, we would have an, the male counselor stand in. 
If there's an issue with the mother, we'll have female counselors stand in. And we got to this one girl. They're all going around doing it. And what, what the, what the stand, person standing in would say is, on behalf of your parent, And they would pray, I'm sorry for, and they would pray, God, just give me the words. And they would say whatever the Lord was putting on their I'm sorry for. And there was real Holy Spirit activity going on. People's hearts were breaking, being healed, set free. And we got to this one girl, and her, her face was just stone cold. Stone cold Steve Austin, sorry. He was stone cold, right? She was just like... And... Her whole group was praying for her, and this brother stood in, and she said, you know, he, went, he prayed, and he, will you forgive me for, and it was a long list, stone cold. She goes, I can't. I can't. They're like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Oh, I can't. I can't. I can't. It hurts too much. I don't want to do it. I, don't, I can't go there. And the guest speaker was passing by because he was checking in all the groups. And he overheard and he stopped by. And he said this, he said, you know, in the Bible, forgiveness is not optional. It's actually a command. But I don't say that to coerce you or force you to forgive. But what you have to understand is there's something that you don't understand about forgiveness. That even though you don't feel it, you feel like in your heart you are completely unable to do it. If in faith, by faith in Christ, trusting Christ to do the work in you, if you will say with your lips, I forgive, you will see something amazing happen. And she was like, not convinced. She was just like, and they're praying for her. And she was just like, and he just asked her, will you just try? And she said, Dad, I forgive you. And then suddenly, bam, bam, it just started, she was undone. In that moment as she placed her faith in Christ and said, I can't forgive, it's too much. I can't get to the other side. And she trusted him and in obedience said, I forgive you. With her words, she made a decision. The Holy Spirit met her and was like just working in her life and began to bring incredible healing. And I share that with you as an encouragement because there's many of us that are there. Especially in the family. Now I want to encourage you to put your faith in Christ. And trust him. He'll take you to the other side. Amen? We'll take a brief time to pray. A couple minutes. Just respond to him in your own words. Be honest. 